Beginning with this year's elections, voting gets a whole lot easier. Your mailbox is your ballot box. Your ballot packet comes to you in the mail. But only if you're a registered voter. If you need to register or update your address, do it today at elections.hawaii.gov. Look for your free Hawaii elections guide in the newspaper or at these locations statewide. The deadline to register for the general election is October 5th, so don't delay. Hawaii, Hawaii votes by mail. Aloha and good morning. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji here on the platforms of the Star Advertiser. Thanks so much for being here for Spotlight Hawaii, a place where we try to bring leaders from our community to talk about the impact that the coronavirus pandemic is having on the islands. And today, Ryan, we have a very special guest. That's right. You know, as we hear of the uh, additional closures that will be happening uh, beginning tomorrow, uh, of course, a lot of businesses impacted small businesses all the way to some of those large name businesses in our community. And one of those businesses that continue uh, to really find their way and navigate through these times is Hawaiian Airlines. And joining us this morning is Peter Ingram, uh, the CEO of Hawaiian Airlines, who's joining us live here on the broadcast. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first, we want to just start off and ask you what's sort of the status of Hawaiian Airlines now. We're hearing more of these uh, shut, you know, shutdowns that are in place, as well as the re-implementation of this 14-day inter-island quarantine. How are you folks dealing with this? Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for, for having me on. Um, you know, the uh, the impact of, of COVID-19 has been um, nothing short of profound on our business. It's, it's just hard to fathom um, such a significant uh, decline in demand and the ability for people to access our our services. Um, you know, we're we were down in the second quarter. We were down in demand. Uh, you know, the number of passengers we flew and the revenue we generated was less than ten percent of uh, what we were the year prior. Uh, the worst of that was April. Uh, but with the reimposition of of the neighbor island quarantine, now we're we're rapidly getting back to those uh, April like numbers now, and uh, un unfortunately, that that's had a huge impact on our, our business. Where we continue to operate every day, our employees continue to do a great job. But um, and and we've made changes to adapt our business to make sure we're we're doing things safely and taking. Uh, into account everything we've learned about the virus since then. But uh, unfortunately, uh, the business has been dramatically impacted as so many other businesses throughout our community have. You know, the last time you were here, you told us that Hawaiian was losing on average about $3 million a day. Obviously, that's not sustainable. Uh, where are you in that in that sort of calculus now? We're we're still unfortunately in about the the same range of you, you know a, a cash burn of uh, about three to um, you know three to three point two million dollars a day. Uh, that that you know is a function of we've made a lot of cost reductions and adjustments where we could, uh, but there are a lot of things that continue like costs for having aircraft, costs for facilities. Um, cost for employees that are are still driving that that cost number high, and unfortunately, we're as I said earlier, we're not able to offset that by generating more revenue in the current environment. You know, kind of where we stand right now, there is a target date, of course, that has been set of October first, where the 
those who would like to come to Hawaii can get that you know, pre-travel testing and, and that's sort of a date that has moved uh, back every single month we've kind of seen. Uh, are you folks continuing to move forward with that October 1st sort of start date of Trans-Pacific travel? Well, we're, we're certainly going to be ready to go on, on our standpoint. And, and what we're um, hoping to get um, sooner rather than later is more details and specifics of uh, you know, the clarity, absolute clarity around what tests are applicable so we can get information about where people can get tests, try and uh, provide that to our guests. Uh, I, I'm obviously concerned having seen um, you know, the date set for August 1st and then see that um, shift to September 1st and then see it shift to October. Um, we're, we're anxious that um, there may be another slide in that date, candidly, particularly with the, the case counts continuing to be high here in, in Hawaii. Uh, one of the things we saw is that when August was announced, there was an initial surge in demand for particularly for the early part of that month as people uh, heard about the pre-testing and then when details didn't follow they really didn't carry on and we didn't see that as much in the latter part of august uh, as the date shifted to september we really didn't see much of an uptick for september so i i think that skepticism was there and it's been the same with october so uh, in order to, to get that in place and have it active, I, I think we need to be able to uh, provide information to people about these are the kind of tests that, that they can get. Here's the procedure about that you're going to go through when you get to the airport. And we're hoping to see that soon come from, from the policymakers. You know, we always like to invite the audience to ask questions, so please continue to type them in. Lenny has a question, which is just a basic one. When will East Coast flights start? How much lead time do you need? Um, let's say the government does say, okay, October 1st is the date or November 1st, whatever the date is. We know that for hotels, they need several weeks, of course, to get everything sort of up and running. Um, what's the lead time for you to, to restart a route that may be closed right now? For us, the lead time is probably about four or, or five weeks. Um, you, you know, we have uh, suppliers in various places, whether it's, you know, the catering kitchens or the people who work with us on ground handling. We've got to provide notices to our own employees to um, to return to work at, at those stations. Uh, but we could we could spool that up in, in a four or five week time frame. And when we were planning to fly um, in August, we did have a schedule that had us returning uh, to all but one of our North American locations. So that would have included um, the East Coast. The The schedule that we have uh, for an October 1st date or uh, you know October 15th, if it slid, may end up being a little different than what we published for August, just because we're into a different uh, time of year seasonally. Um, you know, people are back in schools. There's a little less um, family travel that, that would be out there. But we're, we're eager to get going. We're eager to, to have people be productive again. We absolutely want to do it um, safely. And we believe that the safety protocols that we have put in place throughout our airports and on our airplanes um, demonstrates that we can do that. And I think having the testing program in place is going to provide safety for our community as well. In fact, more safety than we have today with a very small number of travelers um, coming back and forth from the islands every day without testing. 
you know, in keeping with that testing line of thought here, and I'm, I'm not sure how much you know about this or what you can provide, but there are, uh, you know, talks and there are developments in more of these rapid testing results that come out, um, possible talks of these saliva tests that will provide results in a quicker manner. Uh, is that something that you folks would be advocating for? I, I would think obviously that would help in sort of the lag time and the, and the, the testing process that allows visitors when they arrive or when they get on your uh, aircrafts to be able to have a quicker response time rather than currently what is uh, sort of available. Yeah, so I, I know just enough about testing now to be uh, dangerous. So I, I'm certainly not going to put myself forward as a, uh, as a medical expert. I, I think having a variety of testing options available is helpful just because it makes it that much more likely that people are going to be able to get a test and they're going to have that information. Obviously, you want um, you know, one of the things that the FDA looks at when it's approving tests is how effective they are, how accurate they are. And, and we certainly um, don't want tests that are, are not accurate or not reliable. But I think there are a lot of things that, uh, that are out there. Um, you know, we've all seen the scenes of the, the deep navel, nasal swab and have people, you know, talk about um, having their brain tickled by that swab. I think something that is less invasive and still uh, effective is going to be helpful. Um, yesterday on the news, we saw the, uh, you know, a shallow nasal swab that looked a little less invasive. There are saliva tests. I think Yale has come out with one. And there's different providers that are coming out with different models. There's some, um, some places where you can have a test that's self-administered. There's one that you do it with a, a Zoom call like we're doing right now where um, so that you can ensure who was taking the test and then it gets sealed and, and put in a FedEx envelope and they can turn those around. And if we can do that within the 72 hour uh, time frame, I think that makes it more available to people who may not have a location right by their house where they can go and get a test. All of that sounds very intriguing. I, I want to hear from, uh, Joy, bring in rather, Joy Lynn Uihara's question. Uh, what's the status of employees? How many flight attendants are being laid off? Will it be a temporary layoff or permanent? We know that, um, you know, about a month ago, there were some articles written about about 2,000 separations that you were looking at. Can you tell us what the status of that is right now? Yeah, so uh, we provided notices uh, around the beginning of, of this month um, under a uh, so federal and state laws that are referred to as the WARN Act, which is a requirement to provide 60 days notice if you're considering um, significant um, layoffs at a large business. And knowing that we had an October 1st date out there uh, that was really tied to some of the federal support we received earlier in the year where we weren't laying off under the terms of that federal support, October 1st was uh, a date that we were were looking at where we have to bring our staffing closer in line to um, what our needs are. Uh, so we provided notices to a total of uh, a little over 2,100 of our frontline employees. Um, no one has been laid off uh, subject to those notices yet. Uh, but what we have been doing in the interim is working with each of the unions that represents our teams on voluntary programs, whether it's long-term voluntary leaves or voluntary separation packages, early retirements for, for people who, uh, who could help offset the ultimate number of, uh, of layoffs that may occur. Um, for those 
unionized employees, there's different terms in each of the contracts, but generally those are intended to be furloughs, not permanent. So we would um, we would recall anyone who does get laid off when we have the demand and we need the work again, and we would hope to be able to spool that up uh, sooner rather than later. Um, to the question about flight attendants in particular, uh, I think our notice number was a little over 700 flight attendants that were uh, potentially at risk of being um, laid off. We have had voluntary uh, retirement offers out there, and we, we did get right around a, 100 takers for that. And we've got some voluntary leave programs that are being offered right now that may um, further offset that. So we're hoping to offset these numbers, but un unfortunately, um, we, we just don't have uh, the demand and the level of work and the level of flying to support the level of employment that we came into this year with. Um, so it, it, it's been a difficult time period. Uh, earlier um, this month, we went through a similar process with our uh, what we call our non-contract workforce. So our, our administrative staff here in the offices and, and some of our back office support, um, we eliminated about 185 positions. We were able to offset much of that with voluntary reductions or elimination of, of positions that we had vacancies for right now. So about three quarters of that was offset. Uh, but but those departures are difficult. We're um, we're a tight knit organization. Um, you know, we use the term Ohana a lot, and it it really has felt like that over the last couple of weeks, as you were saying, seeing people um, say goodbye to colleagues who weren't going to be coming in. Um, to work again, uh, and even when it's voluntary, um, I, I will tell you there there were um, tears flowing as as people were were saying their goodbyes, and and it's been a, a tough tough period for all of our team. You know, no doubt it it definitely sounds like this is obviously a difficult time just to sort of navigate through it, and with these constant changes, we, we spoke to Mike McCartney, uh, you know, the head of the uh, DBET on Monday. And one of the things that he really talked about was the importance of Hawaiian Airlines in the community and just what it means, uh, not only from the employment standpoint of keeping all these employees locally, you know, having jobs, but also the reach and the extent of Hawaiian Airlines beyond the waters of Hawaii. If you can speak to the impact that this is having uh, on some of the other markets, because we do know that, you know, when we go to coming back from Vegas, there's a Hawaiian Airlines crew there and there's the teams in Japan. and. I think sometimes we forget that there is a bigger footprint than just here in Hawaii. You guys sort of has established these routes throughout the world, really. Uh, how has this impacted those sort of jobs and those positions with those people out uh, beyond Hawaii? Yeah, in, in, in terms of our um, our staffing, you know, about 90% of our employees are based here in Hawaii. All of our, you know, a lot of our airport staff, obviously, uh, our um, largest flight attendant base is here. So most of our flight attendants are based here. We do have a base in Los Angeles as well. All of our pilots are based here. Uh, but we do have 10% of our employees who are based somewhere else. We've got a flight attendant base in Los Angeles. We've got uh, airport employees throughout the mainland US. And we have you know, sales teams and, and support teams in Australia and New Zealand uh, and in Japan uh, and Korea. Um, so everyone is feeling uh, feeling the pinch. We've had to um, make some adjustments to those staff. We do have some of our, our work there is supported by 
third-party provider. So we we don't have you know the people who are your uh, in uh, the international markets. The people who are um, meeting you at the airport and handling your bags are not Hawaiian Airlines employees, but they are part of our extended team as well. So uh, we're we're making those adjustments. We're we're trying to. Um, we're trying to go through this as as best we can, and and we won't get it all uh, perfect. And we've got some very difficult uh, choices, but that's that's sort of the reality of of what 2020 has been for a lot of people. And I, I think it's true. You know, I, I should say it's true for other businesses in Hawaii. Um, this is our um, our economy is a tourism-based economy. This is what we do. And even, you know, sectors like agriculture, they're supplying the hotels. And so they're really a tourism-based economy, all small businesses and restaurants and, and bars. I, I feel for a lot of those companies because they don't have the resources to go and um, borrow hundreds of millions of dollars like we have to um, survive through this period. And that borrowing is going to be something we have to work through over the years because it is borrowing, which means we've got to pay it all back. Um, but at least as a bigger enterprise, we've got the resources to try and navigate through an incredibly difficult 2020. Well, to that point, Crystal has a question, which is something that I think a lot of people want to know, and that is, is Hawaiian Airlines going to be able to survive? She says, we need Hawaiian Airlines. You know, so many local folks, especially on those, you know, the neighbor island routes in particular, um, you know, my own family, I know, know Ryan as well, both of our moms live on uh, Hawaii Island, and you know, coming to Oahu for medical appointments, uh, just to see family. Uh, for a lot of people, this really is a very important lifeline. So uh, what would you say to Crystal and others who might have that question? Well, well, that, that's exactly why we're we're making some of the difficult decisions that, that we have to make to make sure that we do survive. Uh, Hawaiian Airlines has been around for over 90 years. We celebrated our uh, our 90th birthday last November, and in happier times for for all of us. And uh, one of the things we're very focused on is making sure that we're around for um, 90 more years and and decades um, beyond that. And so th that's why we've got to you know really make these difficult choices to um, to make decisions that affect our team. And as painful as they are. Um, they need to be done to preserve the enterprise, so it's going to be around here um, to provide employment in the future and to uh, provide service to our guests and make sure that you can go and, and visit your moms on Hawaii Island, which I know is very important. I, I look forward to you being able to do that without a quarantine sometime very soon. Well, Yunji's actually there right now. I so am right here right now. Yeah, yeah I'll be well. here for a while, I think. You know, I want to talk about just the in-flight experience uh, that customers can expect when they get back to flying and when you guys are able to reopen up because we know that there's been a lot of, of uh, accolades that Hawaiian has received over the years about the hospitality and about the things that happen in flight, the free meals. How has that overall experience changed because of COVID knowing that now uh, maybe meals can't be served? What is that experience and just the in-flight going to look like moving forward? Yeah, well, like, like so many things uh, that we've all taken for granted, you know, we stopped at the beginning of this and said, you know, what do we know about how this fiber spreads and what can we do to make sure that the um, the travel experience is safe in this current environment? And and one of the things we learned, frankly, uh, is um, that there were a lot of things 
that were already in place that made um, sure that flying is safe. And particularly as we've learned more about the airborne spread of the virus, one of the things um, that is a common misperception is that um, you know, when you're on that flight to the West Coast for five hours, the air just gets recirculated for five hours. Well, that's that's a myth. That doesn't happen. There's constantly fresh air being brought into the uh, cabin. It's replaced 15 or 20 times an hour. Any air that does recirculate goes through hospital-grade HEPA air filters. And so the, the, the nature of how the airplane works uh, with ventilation going from top to, to bottom of the aircraft is actually a, a great environment for suppressing any spread. And there's been a lot of research done on this the last six months to prove that. And I think why we haven't seen cases even uh, coming from airplanes, even as people are traveling in various parts of the world. But we have made changes as well. Um, we've changed our boarding procedure to try and make it so people are not congregating in large groups, just going, you know, boarding by rows from back to front, trying to keep the group small, asking people uh, to cuckoo each other and not all stand up at once because we all want to rush to get off the airplanes, um, using electrostatic sprayers to keep the airplanes clean. And we have adjusted some of our in-flight amenities, um, you know, in including some of the meal service and beverage service, um, just to reduce some of the face-to-face -face interaction between our fabulous flight attendants and, and our guests. Um, that is not something that, that we're hoping to be able to uh, keep in the long term. What we'd like to do is get back to where you get that authentic Hawaiian hospitality that we are known for. And certainly we're trying to deliver that hospitality even as we make these um, changes. Uh, but we've got to do what's sensible. And, you know, what's sensible today means requiring everyone to wear a mask on the airplane, um, you know, making sure that we've got the sanitation and cleaning procedures in place, changing the distancing, putting plexiglass up in the airports. All of those things have, have got us to the point where we really believe that we've got a safe environment and we're ready to uh, carry people and, um, we'll um, continue to, you know, be ready to do that as soon as we can uh, have access to more guests without um, the sort of the blunt instrument of quarantines uh, preventing people from uh, from wanting to travel. Well, and to that end, Barney has a question. I mean, it seems somewhat impractical, but let, let's ask, has Hawaiian itself considered provided COVID-19 tests to arriving and departing passengers? This is from Barney Wilson, since the state has not been able to make other arrangements. Um, I, don't, I don't know of a lot of private enterprise that is doing this, but is that something that you're looking into to make people feel a little bit safer so that they do start to book the flights that are available? So uh, we're, we're not looking at sort of doing testing ourselves, but, but what we have been doing is contacting some of the third-party providers that do provide testing and looking for opportunities as we get more clarity about what is going to be allowed and what tests are, are going to be uh, going forward. Um, we'd like to make that connection as seamless as possible between our prospective guests and, and these providers. And um, that is something we're going to continue to explore. So there's a couple of things we have been doing on that front. You know, during this time, we've seen so many businesses, of course, that are struggling, but are still finding ways to give back to those who uh, need help. And we've seen Hawaiian Airlines and Team Kukul out there, uh, whether it be the food distributions and in various 
other areas, really giving back to the community. Uh, how important has that been as part of this sort of navigating this time? Uh, because we know that you guys have certainly made an effort uh, to really get out there and, and do whatever you can to support the community. Yeah, it, it is important, and and you, you know we've been we've been here for for ninety years. Uh, our employees are you know by and large from this community, and really do feel that desire to to give back and help when people are in need. So the food food distribution drives was was one key one. Another one that we're we're very proud of that our our team worked on is we we partnered with um, some of the public schools. Um, when they were on summer break around refreshing the schools, putting, um, you know, coats of paint and different things and preparing, putting distance markers on the ground, which they didn't have before, which, um, you know, to get them ready for the fall. And, and that was an opportunity for us to get um, people from our employee group who actually live in the communities where those schools are to give back to their, their own community school. And, and it was something it was really great to see. Um, the, the people coming together on that, even even in a difficult time, just being able to get together and work on a meaningful project um, with your colleagues is something that has given people a little bit of a, a bright light in a dark year. Well, our time is almost up, but before we go, we'd just like to ask for any closing thoughts. We really appreciate your time today. I think the, the point that you made about the air not being recirculated is actually something that I did not know. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of trepidation about flying right now. So um, if you could just give us some final thoughts before we end our, our talk this morning. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say, um, you, you know, thank you to all of the the people who continue to um, think of Hawaiian Airlines and and our employees. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to uh, getting back to the point where uh, people can start traveling uh, again. I, I think, you know, I, I think that having the testing program in place is going to have the right balance for uh, for our community. And, and, you know, frankly, it's probably better for us to have more people traveling every day and being tested before they come in from the mainland or from international markets than having a small number of people who are coming in and not testing every day. So the sooner we can get to that and start serving our guests and, and um, bringing um, more people to our airplanes and airports, the, uh, the better for us. And, and we look forward to brighter days ahead. Yeah, we all do. We, we certainly can't wait to we uh, all can speak and start flying again and, and racking up our miles once again with one airline. So, Peter Ingram, thank you so much for taking time to join us this morning. We really do appreciate the update. A lot. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank it. You. Well, again, uh, great to hear from him. Again, we actually heard from Peter a few months ago and uh, sort of now getting an update. You know, when he began his role as CEO, he kind of came in known as like the numbers guy. A lot of people <laughs> refer to him as because of his background and Certainly those numbers and his experience back there uh, paying off now in sort of this time when Hawaiians having to navigate through uh, this financial crisis that they're finding themselves in because of the impact of COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, some really tough decisions that he talked about. We had heard the, the war notices that went out about a month ago for about 2,000 employees. He did say that some there have been some vo voluntary uh, terminations, you know, some retirements and, and whatnot, but um, it still sounds like there's going to have to be some involuntary ones to meet that threshold. $3 million a day of losses, that or more, is obviously not sustainable. You can only borrow so much, no matter how big your organization is. And so they obviously are struggling right now, but working very hard to 
you know, stay afloat because they are so important as Mike McCartney talked about too, just that they are, they are our bridge to the world and also our bridge to each other uh, as we have, you know, inner Island as well. So important to hear from him. Um, and we've got some other great guests coming up next week. That's right. You know, of course, the big announcement that just happened yesterday from both the governor and mayor about these further restrictions that will be implemented going into tomorrow. Uh, we will be speaking with Governor David Ige, who will be here on Monday to sort of address some of these changes. Uh, what the state is sort of doing in preparation for these mass testings that the city is actually going uh, to be undertaking is part of this new initiative. Uh, and the governor has agreed again to join us every Monday for the month of September, except on Labor Day. Uh, but we will be uh, joining, he will be joining us again to sort of providing these updates on sort of where they're at uh, in sort of in terms of making these decisions. Uh, we will also be joined next week by uh, someone that I know a lot of people are looking forward to hearing from. And again, that will be a representative from the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations to sort of take on some of these unemployment questions that so many continue to tackle with. Yeah, that's right. When we first started this conversation, Scott Murakami was joining us almost every week on Tuesdays to help, you know, help the 200,000 plus people who had been laid off navigate the unemployment office um, and that whole system. Now uh, he has left the department and Anne Pereira Estacquio uh, has taken his place, at least as acting director for now. I don't believe that that is a permanent position for her at the moment, um, but she is. she was his deputy and she stepped into that role and she's agreed to come on and give us an update. So we're looking forward to that. We know that with this closure, even though it is two weeks, a lot of businesses say they might not be able to make it. So we could be looking at a whole new round of people um, who perhaps have not had to navigate the unemployment website, uh, having to file for benefits now. So she'll be telling us about how people can do that and also giving an update on how many of those 200,000 plus uh, folks are still waiting for their benefits. That's right. And again, we want to encourage all of you who are watching to let us know who you want to hear from. Uh, we will be expanding sort of our services. We started this every day uh, during, you know, the early lockout days. We kind of scaled back to this Monday, Wednesday approach. But heading into September, we're going to be doing it three times a day. So we'll be joining you every Monday. Three times a week, not three oh, yeah. times. <laughs> not three times a day. Although I'm sure you guys would want to see us three times a day, right? Yeah. Three uh, times no. a day is, is about much, even for us, as much as we love to talk to you guys. Uh, yeah, but, but three times a week, we could definitely fill that. We've got a big roster of great guests coming up. As Ryan said, the, the governor agreeing to join us every Monday because things change so rapidly. So um, we're excited to talk to him. We've also got Corey Rosenley from the um, Teachers Union to talk to us, uh, along with some other guests coming up. And we're going to be uh, venturing into the world of politics again. Uh, the key candidates, uh, for Honolulu Mayor, Hawaii Island Mayor, and the Honolulu Prosecutor's Office will all be joining us. Um, and this is gonna be different. They're not gonna be one-on-one, -on -one, Ryan. These are head-to-head. -head. They're not debates, though. They are more discussions. Yeah, and a great way for all of you viewing to ask your questions to these candidates directly. And we hope to further engage all of you and, and really educate uh, the public on sort of their plans and, and their platforms as we head on into this general election. Again, we wanna encourage you, if you have not yet registered for the general election to make sure uh, that you head over to the Office of Election website to do so. You have, uh, I believe, until October 5th to do that. And so we want to encourage all of you to make sure that you're uh, counted and, again, uh, go through that process of the mail-in voting. And so we will continue to keep you updated on that. We want to thank the Office of Election for allowing us to have this conversation uh, and for further uh, information as we head into this general election. Uh, but again, we will see you all right back here on Monday at 1030 with Governor David Ige. Until then, Stay safe and aloha. Aloha. <laughs>